all the things that moms are expected to do in the midst of these lives and this special calling that they are called to in motherhood. But today I want to talk to you in specific about one necessary thing. One necessary thing. We're still going to be in our journey through Luke's gospel. We're coming to the end today of Luke chapter 10. We'll be picking up in verse 38. So if you have a Bible today, you got some sort of device with the Bible on it, flip, turn, tap, whatever it takes to get to Luke chapter 10, and we'll join together there in just a few moments. But the reality is that we're all living under a certain set of expectations for things that we ought to be doing. Some of those expectations come from our families. Other expectations that are placed upon us are placed upon us by our workplaces and our employers. Others may come from the church or from our culture or from our friends. Still, for many of us, the toughest expectations we face for the things that we ought to be doing are the very expectations that we place upon ourselves. We want to be able to do it all. Well, if the expectations for any individuals in our society are high, surely they are high for the mothers among us. The modern mother is expected not only to cook the bacon, but also to bring home the bacon as well. In addition to working 40 hours or so a week, she's expected to be the one who keeps the house in ship shape by cleaning and cooking and practicing hospitality and washing the clothes, and taking care of the kids. She's expected to attain and maintain a good education, a successful career, and a flawless family. And a modern Mother's Day has few, if any, quiet moments of peace. And if a mother's going to live up to the expectations that are placed on her, in this society in which we live, she's going to have to juggle many things with little rest and you know no mother can flawlessly live up to the expectations that are placed on her and yet mothers find enjoyment even in the midst of that they they find enjoyment even in the chaos even in the even in the, the wreck sometimes that life becomes as you strive to juggle all of these expectations our our three-year-old the other day was in a restaurant with us and he was wearing a shirt that said, I'm a party animal until the sugar wears off. And so I, I read that shirt to him, and he, and he said, Daddy, it's a party. Or no, he said, Mommy stays home with me, and that makes it a party, he whispered in my ear. There are times of joy, for sure, for every mother that provide fuel for all the chaos that goes on. Reflecting on her own experience as a mom, actress Reese Witherspoon recently joked, if you are not yelling at your kids, you're not spending enough time with them. Well, many mothers long for the perfect family that they see so many other mothers portraying on Facebook, while the reality is that we don't project our flaws and our failures on social media. One novelist has written, every family is at war, but some are more civil than others. And there's a reality in which we're all a bit of a wreck trying to juggle these many responsibilities that the good Lord has placed upon us. And as we've seen in this video, as it humorously portrays, the average family expects and often finds the mother to be a hero 
of epic proportions. She keeps the shelves stocked with groceries. And she helps the kids with their schoolwork. And she keeps track of where everything has been placed. And I, along with many of you, often take these things for granted. It's just what we expect mothers to do. But Mother's Day compels us to pause and to give honor to whom honor is due. For our mothers play a critical role in carrying out God-given ministry that has a potential for greater impact than any pastor's sermons on an individual life. I'm convinced that a mother's ministry is one of the most important ministries that any person could ever carry out. Even Napoleon once remarked, the fate of a child is always the work of his mother. That's true in the general case, though we acknowledge that some children don't have that luxury for one reason or another. Still, in the spiritual realm, many of us, mothers and others, fail to make time for God in our busy list of expectations, in our busy to-do lists, compiled from those expectations that have been placed upon us. We focus on what's expected of us by our our society and by our families and by our workplaces and, yes, even by our churches. But so often we don't give the necessary focus to what God expects of us. And in the process, we often find ourselves missing out on the most necessary thing. That was certainly the case for the woman in the Bible whose name was Martha. As we come to the end of Luke chapter 10 today, we'll see her in action. The Bible doesn't give us a last name for this Martha, but based on the things that we see about her in the scriptures, we might assume that her last name was Stuart because she's very much the homemaker. She's very much the sort of person who's on top of the hospitality, ensuring that everybody's taken care of, everything's tidied up, all the crafts are just in the right place, all the entrees and all the courses of the meal are ready to go. That's the sort of Martha that we're looking at here when we come to Luke chapter 10. And she welcomes Jesus into her home as he's traveling on his way. He comes to this city known as Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And there she welcomes Jesus into her home. And we know from the scriptures that Mary had at least two other siblings, one of which we encounter here in Luke chapter 10, and the other who appears in John chapter 11. Her sister, who we'll encounter today, was named Mary and her brother was none other than the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead after he had been in the tomb dead for three days we read about that in John chapter 11 and this was a family that was loved greatly by Jesus they were so loved by Jesus in fact John chapter 11 verse 5 explicitly states that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus all three of them He he loved the members of this family so much that when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. And the other Jews who were there and witnessed his weeping had this to say. They said in John 11, 36, see how he loved him. Jesus had a remarkable sort of love for this family. And tradition says that Martha was the one who had owned the home that Jesus was welcomed into on this day. And that she had taken her sister and her brother in so that they could live with her as well for reasons that are ultimately unknown to us. And the Bible never tells us for sure if Martha 
was a mother. But she sure takes on a lot of tasks that we as a society expect our mothers to take on. John chapter 11 reveals that when Lazarus died, many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha's home to console them concerning their brother. This was a family that was well loved by the community. And Martha kept a hospitable sort of home where individuals felt welcome to stop in. In Bethany, if there had been publishing companies producing copies of Southern Living and Better Homes and Gardens in their day, I could imagine that Martha would have been on the front cover. In the Bible passages that mention her, we find Martha being a perfectionist and a hostess who went above and beyond. Martha was obviously a woman of great faith and a woman who was dearly loved and who was dearly loved by Jesus and she had a servant's heart. She was quick to put herself in her own self-centered sort of desire. She was quick to put those desires and demands of her own on hold so that she could serve her family, so that she could serve the Lord Jesus. And in both of those capacities, Martha shows herself to be a great example of how we ought to serve the Lord. Yet in the midst of all this hustle and bustle of Martha trying to do things to the pristine, precise level, going to the utmost for her neighbors and for her friends, we find that this dearly loved woman had times when she neglected the most important thing. And this is a danger for all of us. Let's just acknowledge that. It is possible for us to expend ourselves trying to serve others and to live up to the expectations of our family and our friends and our co-workers and our brothers and our sisters in Christ while still missing the most important thing. And with a gentle rebuke from Jesus, we're going to see that one thing is necessary. There is that one thing that as we serve, we must be sure we do not neglect. There is one thing that will fuel us up in our serving and prevent us from growing sour. And that one thing is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his word. By doing this one thing, which Martha's sister Mary exemplifies for us, we enrich our service. Doing this one thing that is not only important to our work, it is necessary for us to find time for worship that fuels our work. This one thing gives us the fuel for these things which Christ calls us to do. So turn with me now to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. We'll see this one necessary Thing on display in the lives of Martha and Mary. If you're able, I'd ask that you'd stand now that we might honor the reading of God's Word as we start out in Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, that is, Jesus and his disciples, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. In only a few verses here, we encounter these two sisters, and we see the contrasts in what they're doing. They're both busy. Martha is busy with preparations, while Mary is busy listening to the words of the Lord Jesus. Martha wants to be sure that all things are taken care of, while Mary wants to savor every moment that she has in Jesus' presence. There's a combination of serving the Lord and savoring the Lord going on in this passage. And Martha sees that what she is doing in serving the Lord as more important than what her sister is doing as she's savoring the Lord's presence. But Jesus corrects Martha's wrong assumption by showing her that only one thing is necessary and that Mary has chosen the good part. And so the first thing I want you to see as we examine this passage is this. We are called to serve the Lord and to savor the Lord. There is no conflict here. Some pastors come to this passage and they try to show the difference between salvation by works and salvation by grace through faith as though Martha is trying to earn her favor with Jesus. But I'm convinced that's not the issue in this passage. Martha does a great thing in verse 38, as a matter of fact. She welcomes Jesus into her home. And she continues to do great things as she serves him and prepares for him. We're not told what all of those preparations included, but we can imagine, right? I mean, we can imagine that she's probably preparing a meal. She's probably preparing a place for Jesus to sleep. She may even be doing those things for the 12 disciples who were at that time spending their lives following Jesus every place where he went. There may have been others in this traveling band as we know that Jesus everywhere he went had throngs of crowds that were surrounding him. And it's quite possible that there were many individuals who just pop in to Mary's home as they're going along the way. We're really not told But it's easy for us to see in this passage that Martha is busy serving Jesus and busy serving her family. And that's not a bad thing. If you come away from this passage with the idea that we need to forget serving the Lord and consume ourselves with savoring him instead, you've missed the point of what Jesus is saying. The church of the living God needs people who will serve him. If you are his, he has a work for you to do. There are classes that need to be taught. There are duties that need to be cared for. There are babies and children and students and adults who need to be loved and guided into the truth. There's a building that needs to be cleaned and a churchyard that needs to be mowed and people that need to be welcomed and led into worship. There are sick ones and suffering ones and ones who've been shut in who need to be called or visited. There are lost neighbors here and around the world who need to hear the good news. 
One study conducted several years ago found that regardless of the size of a church, whether it was 20 people or whether it was 2,000 people, roughly about 10% of the church's attendees perform the ministries of the church. And it's no wonder to me that sometimes we see people like Martha in our midst, people who are suffering burnout, people who are some of the most diligent servants, some of the most busy at serving him and yet are not able to serve, to savor him. Because they're so busy in their service. They're so busy taking the load of the others whom God has gifted for this particular ministry and occupying themselves with what the body of Christ should be doing together as this healthy body, each part, doing his or her own duty. Would to God that we had more people who were serving him here and around the globe Don't get the idea that you don't need to be serving him coming to this passage. Martha was serving Jesus, and that was a very good thing. And it's not a thing that she was doing to try and and earn a right standing before Jesus either. When Jesus and Martha meet in John chapter 11, a few days after Martha's brother has died, Martha expresses strong words of faith in Jesus. She's not working to earn her salvation. As a matter of fact, in verses 22 and 23 of John chapter 11, she says these words. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And then she says in verse 27, just a couple of verses later, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. That's as strong of a statement of faith as you're going to find in the pages of the Bible. Martha was a faith-filled woman. And Jesus doesn't just tell her to stop her serving. In fact, Luke has just shown us in the preceding verses, what we looked at last week, through the parable of the Good Samaritan, that we ought to be loving, we ought to be serving, we ought to be showing uncommon, costly grace to our neighbors. The good Samaritan, out of a true love for his neighbor, served his fellow man greatly. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. We are called to serve, but we're also called to savor the Savior, to delight in him to find enjoyment in him and i believe luke puts this account of jesus's work at bethany which was a city again as i mentioned just a few miles outside of jerusalem i believe he puts this after the parable of the good samaritan so that we won't come away from that good samaritan passage with the wrong idea because if all we had was the good samaritan If if all we had was this example of one who came and gave all that he had and pursued through grace to the uttermost the healing of a complete stranger, then, my friends, we could easily weary ourselves in this world by trying to go and trying to work and trying to meet every need that is out there. But Jesus, ultimately, in this example, is showing something that Luke wants to put before us so that we don't become weary, we don't become exasperated in thinking of how we are to love our neighbors. He shows that you need to refuel. You need to take the time to be devoted to the Lord. You need to take time to savor His presence that you might be fueled up 
in your service of Him. And friends, we need moments of worship so that our batteries can be recharged in our work, in our service to Him. You remember the great commandment which the lawyer summarized back in verse 47? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We must love and worship and enjoy and fellowship with the Lord as we love our neighbors as ourselves. We must savor as we serve. Furthermore, the next thing I want you to see is this. Serving the Lord without savoring the Lord will cause you to miss the one thing that is necessary. When Martha gets upset, when she tries to lobby Jesus to rebuke her sister Mary for just sitting there and just listening to his words, Jesus has a word of rebuke for Mary. It's a gentle word of rebuke. He says in verse 42, only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Mary was serving, but she wasn't savoring the Lord. And that can be a dangerous thing. Are you serving him without savoring the truth and the fellowship that he extends to us? Are you all work and no worship? Well, let me just show you quickly three dangers of serving without savoring. Here's the first one. Serving without savoring will cause you to forget why you are serving. Verse 46 says that Mary was distracted with all of her preparations. That word translated distracted in the original Greek literally means to draw away. And the word for preparations is none other than the word diakonia, which is where we get our English word deacon. It's a word which literally at its root means service. Mary was serving, but she was serving to the point where she was being drawn away from the Lord rather than drawn to him because she wasn't taking those opportunities to recharge her batteries. And friends, if you're only serving the Lord without taking the time to savor him for who he is, you will likewise find yourself forgetting the reason behind what you are doing. You can find yourself missing out on his fellowship. You may well find yourself distant from him, even as you strive to serve him. And that has some pretty severe consequences for the believer. That's the first danger of serving without savoring. Here's the second. Serving without savoring will cause you to despise the Lord and his people. That's what happens to Martha in this passage. In verse 40, she accuses Jesus of negligence and her sister of laziness. Because her sister is worshiping instead of working. You see, Martha has gotten the importance of savoring the Lord. She's forgotten that she needs that as her fuel for serving him. And so she says to Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And then on top of that, she orders the Lord telling him what to do at the end of verse 40 by saying, then tell her to help me. Now that's a pretty pushy move when you've got the Lord of glory there in your midst. Well, here we see that Martha harbors a bit of resentment that Jesus has called Mary to do something different than he's called for her to do at this moment. This is a similar sort of thing to the resentment that some individuals 
in the church of God have when they sense that God has placed a different calling upon their lives and he's placed upon the lives of someone else. Our Lord calls us as members of his church to different tasks, different ministries. We can either receive that and gladly serve where he has called us and gifted us to serve, or we can come with the attitude that says, who does he think he is? Or who does she think she is? And friends, I just want to say, do not disdain the calling or the gifting of those that the Lord has enabled to do something different than you're doing. Don't grow weary in your serving with your gifts that he's granted to you and say, man, I wish I had gifts like that person so I could ease up in this work. Or, man, I sure wish I had gifts like that so that someone would respect my opinion. Because it takes a whole church, a whole church full of gifted people, a whole church full of individuals granted these gifts by the Holy Spirit to carry out the Lord's work with each member performing his or her own function. Any short, anything short of that will leave this body in a malfunctioning sort of state. And if your efforts to serve the Lord leave you with not a joyful spirit of thankfulness that you've had a chance to serve the master, but instead with a spirit of disdain that others aren't helping to lighten your load, maybe you need to come up for air. You probably need to enter into a savoring session. You probably need to get back to the heart of what you're doing by hearing the voice of whom you are trying to serve. And this can be a peril for moms. It can be a peril for dads. It can be a peril for hard workers in the workplace. It can be a peril for volunteers in the community. The peril is that we might start to disdain those that God has granted you the opportunity to serve because you've forgotten why it is that you are doing the service in the first place. You love and you serve others because you have been loved and you have been served by the Almighty God. And serving without savoring will cause you to despise the Lord and His people. That's the second danger of serving without savoring. Here's the third. Serving without savoring will cause you to miss the good stuff. Martha was worried and bothered about many things according to verse 41. How many of you have ever been worried and bothered about things and thought to yourself, now that's some good stuff? Now that's not what we think when we're worried and when we're bothered by the things of this world, is it? Jesus says to Martha, only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. It's not that Martha was doing a bad thing. No, the problem is that she missed the good part while she's doing the bad thing. She missed the good stuff. Serving without savoring will lead you to despair. Serving without savoring will lead you to worry and being bothered. And friends, we need to remember who it is we serve and what he has done for us and what he holds in his hands and what he is preparing for our future. We serve a sovereign king who can yield his authority over every circumstance. We serve one who has laid down his life to show his love for us. We serve a sovereign king who can yield his authority over all of these circumstances and who is preparing for us an eternal place away from this broken world. 
And if we serve a God who has guaranteed us an eternity that is a victory beyond the grave, what do we have to be worried and bothered about in the grand scheme of things here and now? Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. He says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You see, my friends, it's a matter of priorities. Martha's service is not wrong. Her priorities were wrong. She wasn't seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. She was seeking a perfect meal and a perfect reputation. She needed to get her priorities in line. She needed to stop worrying and saying this dinner is not going to cook itself and start contemplating about how this disciple is not going to form herself. You see, Martha thought that she needed help with labor while Mary realized that she needed help with life. And that's the good part because Jesus offers us help with life. He offers us help with eternity. He offers us help with our broken relationship with the God who made us. And Mary, because she had not been spending time savoring Jesus, asks a ridiculous question. She asks Jesus, do you not care? What foolish words to say to Jesus. Of course, Jesus cares. He cared for Martha and he cares for you as well. One day soon, Jesus would show Martha just how much he cared for her. As he allowed himself to be stretched out and nailed to a cruel cross with a crown of thorns mashed into his skull. With these deep wounds in his flesh, naked, being mocked by those who were gathered around him. Jesus would show just how much he cared. And friends, hear me on this. If you've started to wonder if Jesus cares, then look to the cross. If you feel weighed down and alone by the circumstances of this world, look to the cross where God's only son poured out his blood for you so that you could have life. And those circumstances would not have the final say. If you're in the midst of a trial and it seems like you're wading through waters of suffering or difficulty on your own, you may be tempted to wag a long finger in Jesus' face and say, Do you not care? And if that's you, I want to tell you how much he cares. He cares so much that he put himself in harm's way so that he could set you free from harm. Jesus cares for you. So run to him, weary sinner. Fall at his feet. Yield your life to him. Follow him. Let him be the enjoyment of your life. Be refreshed by his grace and his promises. Draw deep from his well and savor as you serve. How can you do that? How can, how can I savor as I serve? Maybe that's a question you had. How can I find refreshment to fuel my service of him? Well, let's look quickly at Mary's example. And we'll learn a good bit about how we can savor as we serve. Now, Mary was a worshiper. Every time, in fact, that we encounter Mary in, in the Bible, in the Gospels, in the accounts of Jesus' life, there's three times we encounter all three of those times, we find Mary 
at the very position of being at the feet of Jesus. She's at his feet learning here in Luke chapter 10. When her brother Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, she comes to Jesus and she falls at his feet. Then she shows a supreme act of worship as she anoints Jesus' feet with costly perfume just before his death in John chapter 12. It wasn't that Mary wasn't serving. No, her anointing of Jesus' feet was one of the greatest acts of service that anyone in his ministry carried out for him. But she savored as she served. So let her example teach you how to savor as you serve. Firstly, by drawing near to the Lord. Draw near to the Lord. You want to savor as you serve? Draw near to him. To be at Jesus' feet is to be at a place of closeness. It's to be at a place of fellowship. You see, Mary drew near to the Lord. She sought to have quiet, undisturbed times of fellowship with him. She didn't allow the scorn of others to discourage her worship. And as I mentioned in John chapter 12, it's Mary who took this pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, a very expensive perfume. And she broke that bottle and she used that perfume, that nard, to anoint Jesus' feet, wiping them with her hair. Her devotion was so extreme in that moment that that even one of Jesus' disciples criticized her for being wasteful. And Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. You see, see, Mary realized the importance of having time with the Lord while there was time. And in that passage and in this one, it seems as though Jesus would have taken a microwave meal or the bowl of fruit if it came with the devotion and the worship and the longing to admire and adore and obey his word. And friends, there are so many things that we strive for that crowd out our worship, that crowd out our devotion, that crowd out our savoring of him. And I can't help but think that Jesus would be content if we lived in a smaller house. Jesus would be content if we drove a clunkier car. He'd be content if we made a few less bucks in the office. He'd be okay with us being a little less prepared or a little less in the know about what's going on on Facebook or in the news or on the latest TV series that we've gotten caught up in. And and a little less like we've got it all together. Jesus would be okay with all of these things if it meant that we'd have more time to worship and to honor him. And let me say this. You're as close to God as you want to be. God desires for you to be close to him. God has done all that is needed for you to be close to him. He has broken down the barrier that kept you away by sending his son to bear the condemnation that you deserved. He has torn the curtain in two. He has set his mediator between you and himself so that you can draw near without fear. You are as close as you want to be. If you are not as close to God as you once were, do you know who moved? God in his steadfast love toward you has not moved. You have drifted away from him. And so the Bible says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Mary knew that to fully receive from Jesus, she needed to shut everything else out and focus on him. 
And there's a closeness that's available to each and every one of us through prayer and through worship. Are you a prayerful person? Are you a worshipful person? Are you taking time to bow before the Lord and to, and to make your needs known to him, to listen for his voice? Are you taking time to worship him, to exalt him for who he is, to meditate upon his gifts to you, his awesome work on your behalf? You see, when we bow in prayer, we find ourselves at the very feet of Jesus. We find ourselves drawing close as the word of the Lord says in verse 4 and verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And our worship, my friends, draws us closer still. And I just want to say to you, if you're here today and you don't have a gathering of others who are gathering together with the purpose of exalting the Lord, of of worshiping the God of love, then my friends, you are missing out on the good part. Every once in a while, I'll encounter someone who says, I serve the Lord on my own. I, I don't need a church. Well, that's a person who's missing out on something special. That's a person who's missing out on a place where God can equip you to serve and God can grant you opportunities to worship if you want to be a christian without having a church i mean you're missing the good part it's like eating a bowl of lucky charms and leaving all the marshmallows behind right it's like it's like eating the bottom of a cupcake and leaving all the icing or 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 it's like eating a egg and leaving the yolk behind or going to carowinds without riding the roller coasters or going to middle school without gym class, or like hiking without any good scenic views along the path. You get the point. If if you serve the Lord, but you do not find the time to worship Him, you will grow bitter in your serving. And if you want to savor as you serve, you will draw close to the Lord. You will draw near to Him in worship and in prayer. But also, you'll follow Mary's second example and listen to the word. In this passage, Martha had the very word of God in her living room. She had the very words of the very author of life echoing throughout her home. And perhaps we might think, what a tragedy it would be to have the word of the Lord of the universe echoing throughout your house and yet for you yourselves to be so busy that you don't hear what he has to say. And yet, my friends, I ask, do you have a Bible in your home? Do you have an electronic device that has God's Word freely available for you anytime you want to access it? I think many of us are guilty of more neglect than Martha was in this passage. While God's Word only passed through her home for a few moments, many of us have the Word revealed for us in our possession anytime we want to hear from the Lord. But we must get our priorities in order. We must take time out for God. We must seek His kingdom first. We must carve out a time to be alone and away from the distractions, to hear from Him and to savor Him and to be refreshed for His work. Do you have a time like that in your schedule? I mean, do you have something regularly carved out where you're ready to spend time with the Lord? Well, let me give you a bit of pastoral advice if you don't. Make some time like that on your calendar. 
you will not be disappointed. As a matter of fact, you will find yourself enjoying what Jesus calls here the one thing that is necessary. But, but start simple, okay? Don't feel like you need to plan out an hour of every day, seven days a week, because what you'll find is that you'll miss a day or you'll miss two days, and all of a sudden you're back off track and you won't be doing what you know you need to do for this most important thing. What you should do, if you, if you don't have a quiet time, a daily time when you're getting along with the Lord, finding some time to listen from Him, just strive for five days a week, 20 minutes on those five days. Good, simple start for you. Find yourself a good, easy, readable translation of the Bible. I would recommend the English Standard Version or the Christian Standard Bible. ESV or CSB are going to be good, easy to read sort of translations. Find yourself a good study Bible in those translations. If you, if you have questions, you want to find resources, ask me. I'll be glad to help. Or maybe you've got a long drive to work. Did you know you can listen to the Bible on your cell phone? You, you can buy CDs and listen to the Bible. I was amazed when I discovered that on my long drives to my first job and began to listen to the Word of God along the road. Find times, find opportunities for the Lord to speak to you through His Word. Start simple. And watch how he grows you. Take an opportunity to make notes about what the Lord is calling you to do as you study his word. And you'll be amazed to see how this most important thing brings so much fruit in your life. If you're struggling in this area, I would be glad to come alongside you and to help you find some resources that could really make a difference. But the only thing that will hold us back is a mismanagement of our priorities. I heard about a time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a one-gallon wide-mouth jar, and he set, set that jar on the table there in front of him, and then he picked up a box full of rocks that were about the size of his fist. And he started putting those rocks in until the jar was filled all the way to near the top. And so he asked his students there, his business students, he said, Is the jar now full? Everyone answered, yes, of course the jar is full. You filled it all the way to the brim with those rocks. And he said, ah. Then he reached under the table and he pulled out a bucket of gravel. And he poured some of that gravel in and he shook the jar so that the gravel shook its way in between those larger rocks. And then he said, is the jar full? Well, by this time, the the business students were on to him. And they said, well, no, it's not full. And so he said, good. And then he reached under the table and he pulled out a bucket of sand. He dropped the sand in and the sand went into cracks between the gravel and the larger rocks, filling up that jar even further. He asked the business students again, is the jar now full? And once again, they realized what he was doing. And so he finally pulled out a pitcher of water and he poured the water in all the way to the brim. And now there was not much likelihood he was going to fit anything else in that jar. But he asked these students, these business students, and they knew he was a time management expert. But So he asked them, what's the lesson here? And they said, well, you can always squeeze more into your schedule if you really want to. And the time management expert said, no, that's not the lesson here. The lesson is if you don't put the big things in first, you'll never have room for them at the end. And my friends, when we're talking about the most important thing, When we're talking about the one thing that is necessary, when we are talking about ultimately savoring the Savior rather than just serving Him, 
Jesus points us to that and says, this is the most important thing. This is a big rock. This is something you need to ensure you take care of before you start throwing everything else into your busy schedule. And so let this be an encouragement for each of us that we might focus on this one necessary thing, that we might find ourselves drawing closer to the Lord, enjoying his fellowship as he calls for us to do in these verses. Would you pray with me? Father, I think if any of us were to be honest, if I am honest, Lord, I must confess that I don't always make the one necessary thing, an important thing in my schedule. And yet, Father, your word calls me into worship. Your word calls me into devotion. Your word calls me into acknowledging who you are and what you've done and being fueled up, Lord. And I am prone. I think many of us are prone to grow weary in our service, whether that's service as a mother caring for our children or service as, as a parent or grandparent or a, a worker or a, a servant in the church, Lord. We, we are prone to let these things exasperate us because, Lord, we are not taking the time to do the most important thing, the most necessary thing. So, Father, help us to examine our lives. Help, help us to identify the big rocks that we need to put before all other things. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added unto us, Lord. If there's one who's here today who's lost in the midst of a worry, then, Father, I just pray you'd draw him into your grace. You'd help him to know that, that you provide eternal life you provide security you have all things in your hands but father if there's one here who's who's questioning don't you even care i I pray god that you would help us to know help us to be recharged help us to be refueled to know that that you do care you care to the uttermost you care to the extent that you send your own son to die for us that we might be forgiven of our sins reconciled to god granted an opportunity through his resurrection to live eternally at peace with God. And so, Father, I just pray that whatever the storms may be in the lives of those who are gathered here, that you would remind us that we have the very opportunity of being in fellowship, of sharing communion with the one who can still every storm. And may we, O oh Lord, find peace in your word and in your guidance and in what you've granted to us through your grace that might fuel us up to be servants joyfully doing what you call us to do. I pray it in Jesus' name.